Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Apologetic series, recorded October 26, 2021, titled, Bart Ehrman Counters Mike Lacona. Trust the Gospels? The Gospels in our New Testaments are our most complete accounts of the life of Jesus and his ministry. And the Chronicles of Narnia are our most complete accounts of Vaslan the Lion. But why should we believe them? Are they historically reliable? Excellent questions. The most important, really. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. Last month, we took a look at some points of agreement I have with New Testament scholar Mike Lacona. Do you find that the empty tomb qualifies as part of the historical bedrock? I don't. But today, pause. Hello, YouTube. Do you love Paulogia videos, but wish he was smarter, more articulate, more educated, more handsome, would speak longer about controversial New Testament topics, and would answer your questions live? Of course you do. So stay tuned to the end of this video to make all your wishes come true. Or go to this webpage now. I'm not the boss of you. Okay, play. But today we're going to look at a video where I disagree with Mike on almost everything. But when it comes to questions about history, why listen to this former Christian YouTuber when we can tap into the decades of research and knowledge of a former Christian renowned historian? like Dr. Bart Ehrman. Thanks, thanks for having me. I believe the Gospels are historically reliable. Seems the first thing we need to establish is what one means by historically reliable. Well, Mike and I mean different things by it. What I tend to mean by it is that if somebody says something happened, then it really happened. And if somebody says it happened in a certain way, then it really happened in that certain way. Uh, the Gospels say things that even Mike agrees did not happen. <laughs> but he, he won't say that on this video. <laughs> but right. He says it publicly. <laughs> because they fulfill four important criteria. Number one, their authors chose their sources judiciously. Let's take, for example, the Gospel of Mark. In the early second century, there was a guy named Papias who reported that Mark reported what he remembered Peter saying about Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. Peter was Jesus' lead apostle, lead disciple, and one of Jesus' three closest disciples. So if Peter is the source behind Mark's Gospel, that's profound. Now, from whom did Papias get this information? Papias, is tell, Papias tells us that John the Apostle had shared this information with him. And John was one of Jesus' three closest disciples. So this is amazing to think that the Apostle Peter was behind the Gospel of Mark. Right. So um, <laughs> this is a really problematic claim. I'm going to assume that, that Mike has read the fragments of Papias. They're easily available and anybody can read them. To say that because Papias said that Mark's gospel was based on the sayings of Peter, in other words, what Mike is saying is that John told Papias that Mark relied on Peter. Okay, so in right. other words, it's fourth yeah. hand by the time you get to it, fifth hand by the time we get to it. 
But there's even bigger problems. For one thing, Papias is not talking about what the Apostle John told him. He's quite explicit. He's talking about people who knew the disciple John said these things to him based on what they had heard from the followers of John. What Papias says is that people who had been followers of the disciples of John had given this information. Okay, but beyond that, right. if Mike really wants to think that because Papias says so, it's true, what does he think of the other things that Papias says? I can tell you right now, Mike does not think that Papias tells what is true in his other statements. For example, Papias says the people who knew the disciples of John told him that Jesus said that in the future kingdom of God, Every grapevine will have a thousand boughs, and every bough will have a thousand branches, and every branch will have a thousand twigs, and every twig will have a thousand clusters of grapes, and every thousand cluster of grapes will have a thousand grapes, and each grape will yield gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine per grape. (laughs) Does Mike really think that Jesus taught that? It's what Papias says. The reality is that Mike is picking something that Papias says that he happens to like and says, oh, he must have said it and it must be true. Well, Mike believes that you ought to consider the source. So what about the source Papias? <laughs> right. uh, so anyway, I, I just think that it's a very it's not it is not a good argument <laughs> that, that Mark chose his source as well. There's nothing about the gospel of Mark that would make anybody think this is Peter's story. Nothing. So, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not very convinced by that. And do we feel like Papias was even describing the book of Mark that we know and love? <laughs> I wasn't even going to go there because <laughs> Papias talks about two Gospels. He's talked about Matthew and Mark. And all he says about Mark is, is what, what he remembered from Peter. By the way, the fact that somebody hears someone else speak and then writes down later what he heard. How many people do you know who can write down what they heard when Obama gave his second an inaugural address and write it down accurately, right? Exactly. If Mark is living 40 years later, what are the chances <laughs> that he got it right? So, so apart from that, he says two things about the Gospel of Matthew that actually are some content. He says that it was written in Hebrew and that it contains the sayings of Jesus. That's what Matthew is. It's the sayings of Jesus written in Hebrew. Right. Our Matthew, Matthew we have, was not written in Hebrew. It was written in Greek. And it's not just the sayings of Jesus. It's mainly not the sayings of Jesus. So Papias doesn't seem to be talking about our Matthew. If he's not talking about our Matthew, what makes us think he's talking about our Mark? <laughs> right. He just knew there were two Gospels out there. And he Matthew calls our Mark, Mark and he just, you know, it, that Mark doesn't leave anything out. Well, that's weird that it's the shortest, but. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, number two. The authors use their sources responsibly. Most scholars today agree that Matthew and Luke used Mark as their primary source and supplemented it with other sources known to them. So this creates a wonderful opportunity for historians because they can look and compare how Matthew and Luke use Mark as their source. And when they do this, they can see that Matthew and Luke use their source with a great deal of integrity. In fact, they stay closer to Mark than most biographers of that period stay with their sources. Okay, so he says that, of course, he doesn't give any proof or evidence. If people want to know whether Matthew copied Mark accurately or that Luke did, all they have to do is to take the same story in all three Just take the birth narratives, for example, in Matthew and Luke, or take the crucifixion narratives, or take the resurrection narrative. Just take any story found in three of them and compare them in detail point by point. 
Just do it yourself. You'll see how consistent these things are. Not only that, but so about a year and a half ago, <laughs> a year and a half ago, <laughs> Mike and I were at a, we're at a conference together giving talks. So I need to say Mike and I are buddies. <laughs> we're friends. <laughs> of course. So like, you know, and so we were at a conference together. It was a Christian apologetics conference, meaning it was, a, it was a conference intending to defend the Christian faith. And they had three very, very conservative evangelicals giving talks saying you can trust the New Testament Gospels as reliable. Mike was one of the three. And they had me to be the other person, <laughs> the other voice. So in this conference, the person who was heading it, who was also a conservative evangelical, gave us a case study. He said, look, during his ministry, he sends them out on a mission. He says, when you go, don't take a backpack, don't take extra sandals, don't take extra money, and don't take a staff. So go. So they go. Matthew has the same account that, as Mike just pointed out, he copied from Mark. In Matthew's account, Jesus says, don't take a backpack, don't take extra sandals, don't take uh, extra money, but take a staff. Mark says, don't take a staff. Matthew says, take a staff. And the moderator says, okay, so which did he say? And Mike said, Matthew and Luke say not to take one. Mark says to take one. I think he, if we'd been there, Jesus said, take one. But neither Matthew, Luke, or the source from which they drew changed it in order to make the point more clearly that they were to rely on God for everything. The point, I think, is there with Mark, but Matthew, Luke, or their source want to make it all the more clearer. So they simplify. Do you think they're reliable when they change it? Yeah. They, cause, so because said, they're communicating said, the gist accurately. So he said, take it. Yep. And That's correct. And they're accurate in yes, the report. Yes, in the gist of, of what they're reporting. Absolutely. Okay. And then the moderator asked, Yes or no, do you hold to the doctrine of inerrancy? And Mike said, yes, it's inerrant. I said, Mike, you just said that Matthew said the opposite of what Mark says. And you think Jesus said the opposite of what Matthew says he said. And yet you don't think it's a mistake. It's not an error. It's absolutely fundamentally true. How can it be true if it's the opposite? <laughs> yeah. Well, his answer was because Matthew meant to change it. <laughs> okay, well, Matthew intended to, to change, make it an error then. Fine. But I mean, you know, it's not inerrant. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So you can go up and down the map. But you can just do it for yourself and see. Number three. Numerous items that are reported in the Gospels can be verified. Now, it has to be said that a lot of what's reported in antiquity cannot be verified. That doesn't mean that these events didn't occur, that we shouldn't think that they occurred. It just means we can't verify that they occurred. And the same happens with the Gospels. However, we can confirm a number of things about Jesus. Um, in fact, historians across the spectrum virtually 100% agree on a number of things about him that we can know from the Gospels. Number one is that Jesus believed he had a special relationship with God, whom he called Father, and that God had chosen him to usher in his kingdom. They agree that Jesus taught in parables. They agree that Jesus performed deeds that astonished crowds, and that both he and his followers regarded as divine miracles and exorcisms. And they agree that Jesus was crucified by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. There are many other things uh, that seem to confirm the reliability of the Gospels. Okay, I've got to say, this is the strangest argument he makes. The <laughs> others, I think, are wrong, but this one is strange. And he surely doesn't mean what he's saying. He says that you can verify the Gospels, and the proof of that is that almost all scholars agree on certain things in the Gospels. How's that verification? Verification is if the Gospels say something and you have external evidence that it really happened. 
That's what a verification is. Verification is not that you have a bunch of people who've read an account. Somebody says, well, did that happen? They say, yeah, that happened. Well, they read the account. That's where they got it from. Right. It's not externally verified. That's not verification. That's just simply saying, well, people think that's probably right. Well, okay. (laughs) That's not verification. Now, his earlier point that he makes, he says, I forget exactly the words, but that Jesus understood that he had a special relationship with God. And I think that that's right. You know, my mom thinks she has a special relationship with God, too. And so it is right. There are people who feel they have a special relationship with God. Mike doesn't go into greater detail here. I mean, he's giving up a short video, so he doesn't have much space to say much. But, you know, it's a very interesting question, what Jesus did think about his relationship with God. And the details really matter in this case. Most Christians from the beginning of Christianity, Christians have said that Jesus actually was himself with God before he was born, that he was a pre-existent being who existed with God from eternity past, and that he's the son of God because he really is related to God as a parent and a child, but from eternity past. And so he also is God. Jesus is God. And so it's a very interesting question whether Jesus thought that about himself. So I'm doing this webinar that you you know about on November 7th that's dealing with just this question. It's a webinar dealing with the question, did Jesus think he was God? And it's very interesting in part because the Gospels don't have the same view about this. And historians have to ask, what can we say? What can we say about what the Gospels themselves indicate and whether what they indicate is reliable and how we go about doing that. So that's what my webinar is about to try and figure out. Did Jesus call himself God? If he did call himself God, did he really think he was God? Uh, if he did, okay, you know, that'd be interesting. There are other people who do think they're God. I mean, it's fine. That's fine. There are people who think that, and it may be that one of them is God. I'm not denying that Jesus is God. I'm not either affirming or denying it. So in other words, this isn't like an anti-Christian thing or anything. It's not a pro-Christian thing. I'm just, I'm looking at the historical evidence. What can we say about whether Jesus actually thought he was God or not? Anyway, so that'll be on November 7th. So it's not specifically for non-believers. It's for conservative Christians. It's for liberal Christians. It's for non-Christians. It's for atheists, Jews. I mean, just anybody. It's just a historical question. And historical questions can be examined by anybody. You don't have to have any particular faith to decide what you think happened in the life of Muhammad. You know, it's just a historical question. What did the historical Muhammad do? And you can do the same thing with Jesus or You know, historians have evidence, and they look at the evidence. I will definitely be there. And number four, no more than a small percentage of reported items are reasonable candidates for being mistakes. What I mean by that is this. There, it is difficult to verify a number of things in ancient literature, but it is also difficult to disconfirm a number of things in ancient literature, because there could have always been some reasons that would have, that are, although unknown to us today, they would clarify the discrepancy or the tension that exists between different accounts. That said, we can still acknowledge that in ancient literature, including the Gospels, there are items for which we can say they are reasonable candidates for being mistakes. They may not be mistakes, but they are at least candidates for being mistakes. And in the Gospels, we have a half dozen or so of these. That said, each and every one of these candidates are minor details that are found only in the peripherals, and they don't change anything in terms of the gist of the story. Yeah, well, uh, I completely disagree with this one. You know, this is the view I had when I was an evangelical Christian in college. This whole talk would have made perfect sense to me then. I would have agreed with it. Me too. It absolutely would have for me. The idea that there are six minor mistakes, possible mistakes in the Gospels, I think is completely wrong. And again, all somebody needs to do is do the work for themselves. You just think about the infancy narratives, the stories between Matthew and Luke. Just compare those two. You're going to find way more than six discrepancies 
between Matthew and Luke, and some of them are not reconcilable. I'll just give you a hint. If anybody wants to do this, just read Matthew's account, make a list of everything that happens when Jesus gets born in Matthew, make a detailed list of the same thing in Luke, and compare your lists. If you look carefully enough, you'll realize they're not only differences, there are some strange discrepancies, including in Luke's gospel, just after 40 days after Jesus is circumcised, his parents take him back to Nazareth. Yeah, months and a half later, they go back to Nazareth. In Matthew's gospel, after Jesus is born, his parents are terrified that the king is going to kill the child. They flee to Egypt. They don't go up to Nazareth until after Herod dies. Well, if they flee to Egypt, how do they go back 40 days after the circumcision? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And so you can find a lot of those things. Or if you do the resurrection narratives. I did long ago at your behest. You will find differences up and down the line among the four Gospels, including, for example, again, a geographical thing. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus does not appear to his disciples in Jerusalem. They hightail it to Galilee, get out of there, and Jesus appears to them there. In Luke, they never leave Jerusalem. Explicitly, Jesus appears to them on the day he's raised from the dead in Jerusalem, in the, the next volume, the book of Acts, written by the same person, they're still there 40 days later on the day of Pentecost, and they're still there after that. They don't go to Galilee. Well, which is it? So you might say, well, that's a minor thing. It's not so minor. We're talking about the resurrection narrative here. Right. <laughs> and so there are lots, lots of these. And I'll point out, you know, as I said before, Mark, Mike agrees there are stories in the Gospels. I mean, I don't think this is a minor story. The one that he explicitly says did not happen. When Jesus gets crucified in Matthew's Gospel, People are raised from the dead while Jesus is on the cross, and they start wandering around Jerusalem. Mike explicitly says, yeah, that didn't happen. Well, look, if you've got six minor things that didn't happen, and you've got this thing, which strikes me as a kind of a big story, that didn't happen, if you admit that the Gospels have that kind of thing in it, why do you think there are only six of them? Why not just admit? They're filled with that kind of thing, because when you read them, they certainly seem to be filled with that kind of thing. People are hearing this can just do it for themselves. They can just see, you know, are these discrepancies or not? So... In concluding, I think we have good reasons to think the Gospels are historically reliable biographies of Jesus. I would say that it depends what you mean by reliable. I mean, if you've got a friend, whatever they tell you, about 90% of the time is right, and about 10% is wrong. Well, no, 90% of the time they're reliable. So is that somebody you trust or not? Do you trust somebody who is not right, you know, one out of 10 times? Like if they're giving you directions. So I don't know. I mean, I think the Gospels do contain reliable information about Jesus. I, I really do think that they contain reliable information. And I think the outline of the story in many ways is probably uh, historically right. But they are filled with contradictions and I mean, just flat out his, historical mistakes and various other problems. So it depends what you mean by reliable. Mike's right. They are our best sources for the historical Jesus. But you can't simply trust that what they say is what really what happened. And for me, that's, that's what it means to say something's reliable. Excellent. Well, as we've mentioned, Dr. Ehrman's Did Jesus Call Himself God seminar is taking place on November 7th, 2021. Normally, to attend one of Bart's lectures, you'd have to enroll at his university or be one of the high bidders on one of his charity auctions, both of which would cost you much more than a fast food lunch. But this one's available to anyone for a reduced advance ticket price before November 7th, just $9.95, which includes participation in the live Q&A with Bart. Or if you're hearing this after November 7th, you can still get lifetime access for the regular price of just $14.95. And if you use the link on screen or in the description, tinyurl.com slash barktalk. Barktalk? You'll also be financially contributing to this channel as an affiliate while getting some amazing content from the insight and knowledge that Dr. Ehrman brings to every topic. Plus, I plan to be in the audience too. 
so be sure to say hi when I see you over there. Okay, thanks so much. Appreciate it. And it looks like you've ended just in time. It was great. Yeah, sorry once in a while. I thought I'd get carried away if I had to deal with Mike. <laughs> well, if you want more of Mike, tap on the playlist on screen now, and I'll see you over there. Great. All right. See you. Later.